0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, this is Gino Geraci, so glad you could join me on the program, the number 303-873-1935, and of course, we've been talking about, well, Gog and Magog, and so we're talking a little bit about world religions, and hopefully, I'm going to be talking um, a little bit about the difference between American law and Sharia law in the not-too-distant future, but if you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303 303- Eight seven three nineteen thirty five. Let's see who's up. Eric, welcome to the program. Hey, you know. Hey.
1: Hey, I have some concerns about the timeline you guys were talking about um, in respect to bringing revelation into some of the conversation. Um, I guess my understanding is, well, I would believe more. Well, first off, I think we're entering the Psalm thirty or the Ezekiel thirty eight portion of the Bible, but it also
0: yeah, we are or we're not. Under- <laughs> we are well, or we're well, not. So so here's the big right. question then you have to really ask yourself. What would cause you to say we're not?
1: I would say that this seems like a perfect every- well, the middle of a conflict, which would the Covet with many, which is described in Daniel nine twenty seven, but you also have to keep in mind that right now we could very well be looking at the Isaiah seventeen of the destruction of Damascus.
0: Well, and and that's a really <laughs> really good point because the, see, so this is what Joel is basically saying. He he's talking about the two different scenarios. He he his two different scenarios that I've been yeah. talking about are that, number one, Israel defeats Hamas, like I said, decisively sparking a period of peace in the region. So so this is where, uh, to me, this would be evidence that we're not, in, in the sense that if Hamas is destroyed, if Hezbollah is destroyed, if Iran's nuclear capability is severely damaged – that it could create a a window of opportunity, peace and prosperity. In the second scenario that Joel prophesied, the in the pieces ended. It's to, and this probably goes to your point where where it would say, "Hey, guess what? The prophesied peace actually ended on October seventh. The Israel's time without war was cold war, then pre-war." And Ezekiel 37 is already passed, and it would mean that the period we've just gone through has been the precursor and that, that things are about to unfold pretty badly right now.
1: <laughs> I, I, subscribe, I subscribe to that one, and, and for the sake of, you know, we've got the UN setting up, you know, the B system. We've got, and that includes the world. I mean, we're trying to destabilize the American currency. You know, um, everybody's playing their role apparently, um, and I, I don't think I think when you think about I don't know what is it was it Ezekiel where they were talking about. Israel without borders. I mean that would speak to the time of peace and prosperity. Well, it doesn't
0: mean without borders. I think you're confusing walls I mean, and no without walls. walls and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so so um whatever's happening and however it happens. So and again, I'm I'm not going to play devil's advocate. I'm going to actually play Eric Eric advocate. Like I'm I'm holding your position, okay? So so I'm not, I'm, I'm not challenging the position. I'm going to advocate for the position just for a minute, okay? So here's what happens. Israel continues to contain Hamas. Hezbollah, th- this is Thursday, by the way, and so if anybody's listening and we're broadcasting, it's November 2nd. What if Iran's dreams come true or their threats come true? And Iran says, by tomorrow at sundown, we're going to declare war against Israel. We are going to empower and enable Hezbollah with its 160,000 rockets, Syria with its base camp. Uh, We're going to create a mechanism whereby we're going to invade Israel in earnest. Now, we've got... Aircraft carriers stationed in the Mediterranean and the Red Sea. In order to deal with Hamas, excuse me, Hezbollah's missiles and Iran's missiles, we start launching missiles. Now, as we launch those missiles to intercept those missiles, Turkey enters the conflict. As Turkey enters the conflict, it becomes more and more difficult. And let's just say Israel is severely and seriously challenged. So in order to dial back the onslaught, Damascus is destroyed, which creates a mechanism where Russia feels like it has no other choice but to enter the conflict. As Russia enters the conflict, we are literally in World War III right cuz now you're seeing right now you're so so the, to, the, so that's your oh, position sorry. and i'm hoping yeah, and praying <laughs> i'm hoping and praying you are wrong 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 and and by the way i to, i would go so far as to say you should call me next week because if you're right we're in a war and if you're wrong you may not be wrong, we may just have kicked the can down the road another week, but um, I, I actually share the idea that we are at a critical point, like right now, right at this very moment.
1: Yeah, I, there's no no, you know, so what I ran to on something, you know, and who knows what that that is, I haven't followed that too well. Um, but You know, it seems like there's a lot of proxies being riled up and, and, you know, America's standing. And and then also has to—if you want to talk about Revelation, then I would say that this could very well, under the doomsday scenario, which I I hate to even propose, but, you know, the writing's kind of on the wall um, that, you know, the rapture being the next uh, prophetic event and then the removal of the church and then the tribulation begins, you know— I don't want to be the doom and gloom guy, but, you know, we have to look for the glory of God to see where he how he intervenes on behalf of Israel.
0: Well, and I mentioned that I mentioned that how however this unfolds and whatever happens, Magog doesn't win. Um, God himself, according to the scriptures, intervenes because in my view, and I think the biblical view is that God has unfinished business with Israel and with the world itself and and by that i mean it is a world that will either receive christ or reject christ they will people will come to a saving knowledge of the truth in christ jesus or they won't
1: right through the tribulation thing it,
0: exactly in other words there is going to be a rebellion of catastrophic consequences and so you know when people ask me about what's going on with Palestine and what's going on with Israel, I remind them that Palestine is in its place in unbelief. Israel is in its place in unbelief. Do you know what both of them have in common? Apart from Christ, they're not going to go to heaven. And so the gospel is the only thing that's going to solve the Palestinian problem. The gospel is the only thing that's going to solve the Jewish problem.
1: Right, and then so bringing revelation into it to some degree a little soon, I mean, that really speaks towards the the tribulation.
0: Well, and mind. that's a whole nother subject, isn't it? Hey, but thank you, Eric. Yeah. And you know what? If you're not able to call me next week, because the end of the world as we understand, the end of the world oh, has gosh. happened as we understand it. <laughs> I'm not laughing because it's you're funny talking. because I don't. do dare let go. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. And, you know, we've been talking around about terms and and, um, things that are going to happen. And some of you may or may not be familiar with some of these terms, including this idea of a tribulation. What is that? And, of course, different people have different views, but in my own view, the tribulation is a future seven-year period where God finishes his discipline of Israel and, and finalizes his judgment on the unbelieving world. So you have the church, which is comprised of all the people who have trusted the Lord, the people who have trusted Jesus as their Savior, Now, my own view is that those people who have trusted Christ won't be present during the tribulation period. Like Joel Rosenberg, I take a pre-tribulational approach to eschatology. So the church, in my view, and and the view of gotquestions.org, is that the church will be removed from the earth in an event called the rapture. And that rapture is discussed in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13-18, through 18, where Paul, writing to the Thessalonian believer, says, but we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Asleep is uh, a euphemism for dead, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord. So Paul's writing to the Thessalonians, and he says, for this we declare to you by the word of the Lord. In other words, this isn't by the word of Fox News or CNN or, you know, uh, Al Jazeera. What is your reputable source of information for this? Paul says, this is a word from the lord that we who are alive and who are left until the coming of the lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep that means died for the lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry with a shout or the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of god and the dead in christ will rise first then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds. That's the rapture. We are caught up. That's hadapadzo. We are lifted up. It's, it's kidnapped, uh, it translated. It's, it's a word that means to snatch, to physically take by force. And so it's on that basis that many believe that the church will be removed from the earth. In that event called the rapture. It's also talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul says, I'm going to tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And so in this way the church is saved from the wrath to come in first Thessalonians five, nine, where it says, For God hasn't destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ. So throughout the The Scripture, the Tribulation, is associated with the Day of the Lord, or the Judgment Day. That's the time during which God personally intervenes in history in order to accomplish His plan. So, it's referred to as the Tribulation in the latter days. That's the way it's described in the Torah, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, Verse 30, when it says, when you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord, your God, and obey his voice. So during this great tribulation, which refers to the more intense, I think, second half of the seven-year period that's talked about in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21, where Jesus says, Then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world, until now, no, and never will be. It's described as a time of distress in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. And it's described as the time of Jacob's sorrow. One translation reads, Jacob's trouble, where in Jeremiah 30, verse 7, it says, Alas, that day is so great, there is none like it. It's a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. So Jacob here in Jeremiah seems to be a reference to the children of Israel. And we have this description of the tribulation that attends the day of the Lord in Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, where it says, That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet and battle cry. So the tribulation will be marked by various judgments, celestial disturbances, natural disasters, terrible plagues. These are all talked about in Revelation chapter 6, 7, 8, and then you go all the way to 9 and 10, all the way through to chapter 16. But God in his mercy sets a limit on the duration of the tribulation. When Jesus says in Mark chapter 13, verse 19, those will be the days of distress, unequaled from the beginning, when God created the world until now, and never to be equaled again. And if the Lord had not cut short those days... No one would survive. Those are pretty stark, dramatic terms. And then in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, it reveals the purpose and the timing of the tribulation. The passage speaks in Daniel chapter 9 of 70 weeks or 77s. That have been declared against your people. That's the Jewish people. Daniel's people are the Jews, the nation of Israel. And Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, speaks of a period of time in which God's promise to, quote, finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy so god declares that these 70 sevens will fulfill all of those things and the sevens are a grouping of years a seven as so 70 serves as 490 years some translations refer to it as weeks or a series of sevens and in daniel chapter 9 verse 25 It says the Messiah will be cut off after seven sevens and 62 sevens. That's 69. But according to the Bible, there's an outstanding period of time left. A little seven-year period of time that God will, that God must complete his unfinished business with the people of Israel and the people in this world. This is Gino Geraci. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. It's 303-873-1935. 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Karen, welcome to the program. Hi, Dino. Hi. How are you? Well, uh, you I'm know just... <laughs> things are going pretty fast and furious, don't you think?
2: <laughs> oh, I, I agree. Um, people need to get right with the Lord.
0: Yes, exactly. No,
2: with the seven years that you were talking about, I think it's also important that people know that during that seven year or three and a half year mark after during the seven year um, period. That they need to know not to take the mark of the beast because in the Bible it says that um, they'll either take it in your right hand or your forehead um, and for those people that do take the mark of the beast then, um they're probably going to end up going to hell and um, I guess won't be able to turn back to Jesus and plus they're going to um, they're going to have plagues and get tortured by creatures and it's just not going to be good for them.
0: Yeah, it's going to be Halloween on steroids, only you don't get to come back from it. You don't there you don't wake up to a brand new day where the sun is shining and the birds are singing and all of that stuff. So the mark that you're making reference to is in Revelation chapter 13, verses 15 through 18. And it's interesting in the context to your point where it says, and it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. So to your point, there's going to be a group of people who are going going to say, I'm out. (laughs) I'm out. I'm not going to worship this beast, and they will be killed. But to your point, I'm hoping you're making this point, there are some things worse than death, and the thing that's worse than death is eternal death, where you are estranged from God forever and ever. And so the very next passage says, also it causes both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is, the name of the beast or the number of his name. And this calls for wisdom. Let the one who understands calculate the number of the beast. It's the number of a man. Six and six and six. So whatever this mark is and however you receive it, it seems to be physical that you actually literally have it in your body but but also it creates a spiritual consequence that's irrevocable to your point in other uh-huh. words once this happens you can't be saved you can't repent of your sin you can't trust Christ it's not possible
2: right um Yeah, that would not be a good for those people that took it. But there's a lot of people that I know that don't believe in Jesus. And um, why is it that the Lord allows them not to believe? Because if he allows them not to believe, um, then they're going to take the mark.
0: Well, I think that the part of the faulty understanding is that it isn't the Lord who's keeping them from believing in other words for the person who says it's jesus or it's god that's preventing the unbeliever from being a believer i don't think that that's true i think that that the thing that prevents a quote unquote um unbeliever from being a believer like jude like um like uh thomas remember thomas said hey i'm not going to believe unless i stick my hands in his open wounds. In other words, Mm -hmm. the only way I'm going to believe is if he shows up and then of course he does show up (laughs) and, and and the Lord Jesus says, stop, stop with your unbelief and, and believe. And so the Bible says it's his will that none perish and that all come to eternal life. So it can't be God or Jesus who's saying, I am not going to allow certain people To believe so there's this mysterious situation where I think that human beings can believe and won't believe and so when Jesus was speaking to the religious leaders in John chapter 8 he said to the religious leaders unless you believe that I am who I say that I am you will perish in your sins it seems to me that that was an invitation. And, and so that the invitation to believe is legitimate. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And, and so the person yeah. says, I don't want to.
2: Right. Well, you know, they just need to believe and believe that he died for their sins and that he rose again on the third day. And, of course, they have to repent also.
0: Yeah, they they have to understand in that sense to your point. They they they're not just quote unquote repenting in the sense of they got to be a better person. They they have to change their mind about their sin. That their sin is so horrible and terrible that only a savior can change their situation. That's what it means to repent. You mean I'm a sinner? You mean you mean my sin offends God? yeah but but he's willing to forgive me yeah how through jesus christ that's the gospel I, yep.
2: yep they just need to believe i have another question it's regarding um demons and if a person isn't i just heard this from someone if a person isn't isn't into jesus and they watch movies that are evil um can the devil like possess
0: them you know your question is interesting on a couple of different levels because in to the exact question you you're, you're suggesting what would cause a person to be possessed in other words what opens the door to possession why are some people possessed by demons and other people aren't how do we explain that? Why isn't everybody who doesn't trust Jesus demonically possessed? And, you know, talk about watching a movie or uh, playing with a Ouija board or whatever. And so I the, the way that I think I would answer your question is I don't know what it is that would be the trigger that would say – um you can be possessed now i guess i would guess i'm going to guess a couple of things okay and it is Mm -hmm. just simply my guess my guess is for a person who gives himself or herself in an ever increasing surrender to satanic or demonic forces in other words where they invite demons to come into their heart or into their life or into their circumstances so I'm going to suggest people who might want to learn how to engage in divination, tell the future, um, who pretend to talk to the dead or to communicate or interact with the dead. And so is it possible watching a movie could put you at risk? Possibly. Is it more likely that it isn't watching a movie, but it's an ever-increasing willingness to experiment with the idea that supernatural beings can directly talk to you, manipulate you, convince you, and then do weird things to you.
2: Right, yeah. um, Yeah, I guess that's when you have to just test the spirits.
0: Right, test the spirits. Yeah. Yeah. In in the years and years and years that I've been doing ministry, I could think of maybe three or possibly four occasions where it seemed to me that a person was literally demonically possessed and that the the solution was that they had to be exorcised from the demon. But to your point, it's shocking to me that more people aren't demon-possessed. Yeah. To me, that's the surprising thing, but thank you for your call. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. You know, in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Cry out for insight, ask for understanding. And so sometimes we really need insight and understanding in order to know how to go forward. Let's see who's up. 303-873-1935. Is it Lourdes? Lourdes, welcome to the program.
3: Thank you, Gino. And I know that we have very little time now, so I'll go straight to my questions. Um, And it's not as spiritual as the previous callers, but it's more practical. Do you think that according to what's going on in our world, and especially with Israel and all this, it is time for us to get prepared with physical things like food and first aids and water and et cetera, all that. Or uh, are we facing another Y2K um, uh, season or phase? Um, I know that circumstances are completely different, but I remember that time anyway. And then I um, wonder if you have an insight why are authorities doesn't even warn us about things like that. And in a level, on a personal level, are you prepared that way? Yeah. Those are my questions.
0: <laughs> let, let, let me start with the last question first. And, and in, a, in a way, it, it leads to the answer to some of the other questions. And that is, is it okay for a Christian to thoughtfully prepare for a crisis or for a disaster? And so is it okay? Now, my family's homes were destroyed in 2005 in Hurricane Katrina. In other words, was my family prepared for a hurricane that would bring 18 feet of water and completely destroy our homes? we weren't prepared for that.
3: Yeah. No, yeah. We, we were you, not. Pre- you, it so, wasn't expected.
0: So, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So, so, Lourdes, there's certain things. How how in the world do you prepare for that? So I think, I think it is okay, and I think it's thoughtful and even appropriate for Christians to say, hey, um, in the event that I don't have water or food or access to electricity, um should i make provision to have like maybe a generator a generator or 30 days worth of water you know and food mm-hmm. or 60 days worth of water and food or 90 days for water or food now uh, again imagine people have made a provision okay the united nations in gaza has a warehouse full of food and the people of Gaza, in, in fear and panic, break into the warehouse, and they've s- stolen all of the United Nations' food. Um, the, 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 the Hamas terrorists uh, literally took all of the gasoline and food and provisions and then took them into their terror tunnels, leaving their people without food, without gas. So to your point, so so to answer your question, do I personally have – Ninety days worth of food on 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 hand. Yes. Um, do I have a mechanism so that if the electricity is cut off and and we don't have access to any kind of water or or electricity, can we survive? Yeah. Indefinitely, no. Um. So so to to answer your question in in, in a in a real sense. Um, I th- I think that there's two kinds of people. Those who live in fear and paranoia. In other words, imagine you've been a prepper for since, like you mentioned, Y2K, where where you mm-hmm. thought, I am going to get a generator, I'm going to buy a bunker in Idaho, I'm going to have guns, gold, and groceries, and I'm going to hold out. Did Was Y2K a big deal? No, it was not. Um, was... The hurricane in New Orleans, a big deal. Yeah, thousands of people, tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people um, lost everything. Um, the people in Morocco lost everything. In Libya recently, they lost everything. In 2005, in six minutes, a tsunami, a, 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 a tsunami killed 450,000 people around the Indian Ocean. How do you prepare for that? Um, You can't, but, so here's what I would say, is it okay for people to make a principled provision in the event of a storm, an emergency, a snowstorm, or whatever? I think that's absolutely positively appropriate. Um, is it okay to live in fear and self-centered survival? Um, no. Yeah, I I think you're exactly right. So so, um, I think it's wise and appropriate to make a provision. It might even be wise and appropriate to, you know, make a provision to try to help your neighbor in the event of a catastrophe. Um, Mm -hmm. um, But what would you do if there was a complete collapse in society? What would you do?
3: Um, well, yeah, I mean, use whatever I have first and, and nothing else.
0: Well, <laughs> I mean, and, and again, I
3: mean, the point come when, when, when I have is going to be done with, right? I mean, everybody's going to be, I mean, like you said, maybe 90 days or something, but not forever. Right. So, so at least I, I will try to help my neighbor and myself for a right. little bit
0: right so is it okay to do that i think it is okay so different people might say i want to have a provision for six months or i want to have a provision for a year Um, but again how do you make a provision for a nuclear device or a hurricane or a, 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 a tsunami or a flood or a chemical weapon or a worldwide financial meltdown now, again, I'm not yeah. I'm not suggesting any of that stuff, but again, my family, when when the hurricane hit in, in New Orleans in 2005,
2: mm-hmm. it,
0: it literally, there was no law enforcement, there was no yeah. National Guard, there was, people were in a fight for their life. And so you yeah, did what you could. It's
3: happening right now right, in Acapulco. Had, and Puerto Vallarta and those places. Yeah. Well, yeah. You're so, right. yeah,
0: if you're familiar with what's just happening in Puerto Vallarta and Acapulco, yeah. there, was a, yeah. there was a storm, the biggest storm ever yeah. in Mexico. Yeah. And you correct yeah. me, what was 700, even maybe 800 people, they died?
2: Correct.
0: So yes. I don't think correct. I'm exaggerating yes. the numbers? No, no, not at
3: all. Yes, and so, I so- also have... Friends, myself, moving to Mexico City because they lost every, everything. And, right. I mean, thanks God they're still alive. But you're right.
0: Right. So how do you prepare for that? And and so yeah, I'm thinking dead. of my own family where my father goes to my uncle in Chattanooga, Tennessee. But everything he has is gone. It's gone.
3: Yeah.
0: And so that's that's where... Oh. You know, we have um, family, we have friends, we have support, but, but again, we have Jesus, we have the Lord Jesus. And, yes. and, and, and again, we, we, we say, you know what, the most important thing in my world isn't that I survive. The most important thing is that I honor Jesus in however much time I have left. And, you know, I'm a father and a grandfather, and I want what's best for my children and my grandchildren but i understand that i don't have unlimited resources uh, it, that will take care of every contingency that's right
3: that's right thank you so much you know for answering that simple
0: no, question no no thank you and and again even so come quickly that's lord right, jesus Hey, thank thank you for your call. This is Gino Geraci. Thanks for joining me. And um, I'm going to be at um, Grace Bible Church in Longmont this Sunday, teaching in the book of Colossians. So I hope I'm able to see you there. Enjoy your evening. This is Gino Geraci. Thanks, Chris.